podcast. You're listening to Untangling the Lines. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren Duffy. And I'm Kelly Varner. Welcome back. Okay, so today we have a relatively short topic, but it's something that we are, uh, or something that we deal with on a somewhat routine basis. And that is, what do we do with low heart rates or bradycardia after giving dexmedetomidine? Every day, my friend, every day we have a case where we go, what do we do, right? I mean, dexmedetomidine is such a fantastic drug and we use it so frequently, but this is like one of the big challenges, right? You have a dog with severe bradycardia, hypertension, maybe some arrhythmias to go along with it. Mm -hmm. And you have to ask yourself, what are you going to do? Yeah. Who are you going to call? Exactly. <laughs> so I feel like way back when it used, it used to be taught that you would give an anticholinergic like atropine in the same injection as dexmedetomidine. And I think on the surface, that seems like an okay plan, right? Dexmedetomidine causes the heart rate to drop, and then you're going to give atropine, and that should counterbalance it out. So that way, in the end, heart rate should stay about the same. Although we have come to realize that that's probably maybe not the best plan. And the reason for that is we know that the initial bradycardia that comes from dexmedetomidine is a result of the heart trying to balance for the intense vasoconstriction that happens with dexmedetomidine. So dexmed is an alpha-2 agonist, and yes, there are some alpha-2 receptors on the vasculature that's causing the vasoconstriction and increase in blood pressure, but also it's a little bit of a messiness of the alpha-2 drug because it kind of cross-links to the alpha-1 receptor as well, which the alpha-1 receptor, is, its main job is just vasoconstriction. So even though dexmedetomidine is fairly specific for alpha-2s, it's not perfect. And as a result, we're seeing vasoconstriction. Then the heart sees all this increase in blood pressure from the vasoconstriction and has a reflex bradycardia that it's trying to, you know, not pump to 200. <laughs> yeah. Um, and against that. I think one of our first mistakes is thinking that we're smarter than the heart, right? So mm -hmm. like the baroreceptor reflex is so important for the heart and it's, you know, um, I think this idea of including an anticholinergic from the beginning is really a holdover from older style, older protocols, right? That used fairly high doses of acepromazine, opioids, and then frequently like ketamine type um, inductions or ketval inductions where keeping the heart rate up was really important to decreasing the incidence of hypotension that we saw under anesthesia. And to couple that, we also used relatively fast fluid rates, like 10 mil per kilo per hour was very standard not that long ago. And so now you end up with these cases, you get these dexmedetomidine cases and the heart rates go so low. And it's like, when do I need to be afraid in this moment? Yeah. Right. And I think that's the biggest question for our ask to ask ourselves where, what is your line? What's your line, Lauren? What do you, what's your number? Um, I really don't like dogs below 30. I don't like dogs below 40, but I'll tolerate 38. I don't feel great about it. <laughs> yeah. But 27, uh, no, that's, I think that's, I think that's where I draw my line. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm kind of like maybe even more chicken than you. And I sit somewhere about like half of the resting heart rate. So, which I think I, is what you're supposed to accept. I think that is the established line that you're supposed to do. Yeah. And I mean, like if I have a great big Great Dane or if I have a big healthy Labrador or, um, you know, like a fit German short pair point or something like that, I agree with you. If the heart rate is 30 something ish, 
I kind of grin and bear it, right? But mm -hmm. then, you know, like if I had a Cavalier King Charles, a 37 probably isn't quite enough for me, right? And so I right. I do, I kind that's where I kind of sit with my my thoughts. So what do we do? You know? Yeah. So, okay. So you've given dexmedetomidine because you've determined that your patient was healthy enough to tolerate all these cardiovascular fluxes. And now you have a heart rate of 35. So you have, well, historically we would say that you have two options, right? You can either reverse the dexmedetomidine with anacetone or adipamazole. And then that should generally fix your bradycardia and your hypertension. And that's pretty great. But then also your patient wakes up. Well, and also maybe not, right? Because they've done now a few studies looking at giving antecedent under anesthesia and does, you know, reversing the alpha-2 agonist really create an increase in heart rate? And in a number of studies, we found maybe not, right? Mm -hmm. And then we lose our analgesia. We lose our math reduction that is so profound from this. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of, if our, if our goal is a multimodal analgesic protocol, then getting rid of our alpha-2 agonist by administering an alpha-2 antagonist is really kind of a bummer, but I agree with yeah. you. And particularly when I have some really scary arrhythmias and reversing them is one of the first things I reach for. Right. But then I think important to remember that the reversal of alpha two agonists isn't benign on its own. Right. That's true. And I mean, I would never give it, well, except for in times of CPR, I would never give it IV. I always give it IM. I agree. And I do similar things. And I know, Many anesthesiologists do like half doses even, right? They're trying to reverse the dexmedetomidine halfway so that maybe they still get some MAC reduction and they still get some um, analgesia, but maybe not with quite as much uh, cardiovascular depression. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay, so that's one option we have is to reverse it. Although I think you can probably tell that it's neither of our favorite options. Correct. The other option is to give an anticholinergic, which hilariously is the thing that we were just talking about we don't do <laughs> <laughs> but that's also only half the story right so in the beginning when you have a high blood pressure you have vasoconstriction and you have those reflex bradycardia we all agree that trying to increase the heart rate in the face of that vasoconstriction is just asking the heart to pump very hard against a you already have poor perfusion and now the coronaries have to provide even more oxygen when they're not getting that much blood flow because the heart is working hard to pump against a very high pressure. Yeah. However, the, the other side of dexmedetomidine that we haven't really mentioned is that dexmed actually causes vasodilation. And so initially, especially with big boluses, you're going to see vasoconstriction, but the actual effect of dexmedetomidine is vasodilation and hypotension. And so if you go to a human anesthesia pharmacology textbook and you look up dexmedetomidine, it is actually in the antihypertensive drug category, where if you come in to the hospital with high blood pressure, they will start a dexmedetomidine CRI. And us in the veterinary field, we go, huh? That makes uh -huh. no sense. <laughs> I remember being a first year resident and that was like one of my first presentations was on alpha-2 receptors and I was very confused. And it, it's because the alpha-2 receptor, the whole point of it is anti-sympathetic. We call it a sympatholytic. And that really is its main effect. And as, you know, we, so sympathetic tone is all about being able to run away from the bear, right? So hypertension, high heart rates, 
Um, really being able to pump harder, perfuse your muscles so you can run away from that bear more effectively is is all about sympathetic tone. So dexmedetomania is going to cause the opposite. In the brain, and we call it centrally, so it's going to tell the heart to slow down. It's going to tell your vessels to vasodilate. It's going to turn everything down. And that, I mean, in veterinary medicine, we use really big boluses, um, you know, I actually saw a patient the other day that came in for a rest for at its regular veterinarian for a digit amputation and uh, had gotten uh, 25 micrograms per kilogram. And they arrested, they reversed it, they did compressions, and it came to us. I mean, that's a huge dose. In the human medicine, they don't really go over one microgram per kilogram per hour because they don't even use it as a bolus. They use it as an infusion exclusively. And so... By avoiding these really high plasma levels of dexmedetomidine, you actually see its real effect, which is vasodilation. And so, you know, if if you kind of wait and bear it through your dexmedetomidine, we're going through that initial hypertension phase of that bolus from our pre-med, you will start to see what I see what I call phase two, which is a low blood pressure with bradycardia. And it's when I get to a low blood pressure that I feel comfortable giving my anticholinergic. So that's why giving it together in the beginning is maybe not the best idea because you're going to push that anticholinergic through the hypertensive phase. Whereas if you wait to phase two, when your blood pressure is low, by definition, you can't be vasoconstricted because your blood pressure is low. Yeah. I mean, you have to think about it, right? The balance between the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system is what it all comes down to. And if you obliterate the sympathetic tone... And we also know the baroreceptor reflex is vaguely mediated, right? So we induce this hypertension, we get a vaguely vaguely mediated baroreceptor reflex, and then we go into the brain and we completely ablate, or at least mostly ablate, sympathetic tone. Now you have a patient who is vaguely mediated, period. Mm -hmm. End of story, amen, right? Mm -hmm. Vagal, vagal, vagal. And so then we get into this hypotensive phase, right, where the vagal system is completely in control and we get this vasodilatory phase, but we don't get our sympathetically mediated baroreceptor reflex in the opposite direction, right? Where we get an increase in heart rate associated with a low blood pressure. And so that's what we do with our anticholinergic, right? As we go in and we say, hey, parasympathetic nervous system, you're pretty cool, but I've had enough of you now. I need you to have a little less tone. And by doing that, we regain some of that sympathetic mediated tone. And then we get our increase in heart rate from ablation of this parasympathetic tone. And so when we are in that moment, I agree with you completely. Anticholinergics are exactly the right question, without question, if you are bradycardic and hypotensive, the first step is an anticholinergic. Yeah. So sometimes, so my, my staff, they'll come get me. They say, oh, the heart rate's too low. And I say, okay, well, what's your blood pressure? And sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it's like, oh, my mean's still 110. And then we have to think. We're like, okay. So we're either going to wait this out and watch it, or we're going to reverse it. The other scenarios, they come get me. You know, heart rate's 32. And we say, oh, it's too low. And then I say, what's the blood pressure? They say, ooh, 58. And I go, ah, perfect, right? And so then we go ahead and give our anticholinergic. The ones that I struggle with are, what's your blood pressure? 81. Hmm. Okay. So not crazy hypertensive, right? Right. But also not really hypotensive. But I know that if I were to double the heart rate or triple the heart rate with, with glyco or atropine, that my blood pressure easily could become quite high. And that's usually where I tend to 
you know, I, I tend to falter a little bit and I, I usually just wait and I say, you know, at some point, maybe in the next 15, 20, 30 minutes, the blood pressure should come down and we'll give glyco at the end of that. But sometimes that's not, you know, it's not the best option. Yeah. And, and I agree. Like those are the moments where I am standing there trying to decide, you know, the other thing we haven't mentioned about dexmedetomidine here is how drastically it reduces metabolic oxygen demand. Right. Mm -hmm. So we do get in this state of low cardiac output and increased oxygen extraction. Like definitely we go to oxygen extraction levels of 40 to 50%. But also, while we're doing this, we are decreasing the demand of these cells who aren't getting as much perfusion, right? Mm -hmm. So what do we do in that moment? 38 and the mean is 80. Sometimes I reach for IM anticholinergic, right? Ooh, so I give my good. glyco intramuscularly in an attempt to try and slowly bring plasma concentrations up so that maybe I only see a 10 or 15 or 20 beat per minute increase in my heart rate versus 60 or 80, right? Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I kind of reach for is when I'm like, Ooh, what do I do? I can't decide. And then I look at the dog and I go, okay, well, this is maybe only a 15 or 20 kilogram animal. I definitely feel like 40, 40 beat per minute heart rate is probably not enough for this dog. Then if I'm a little on the fence, I might reach for atropine. Hmm. Just because then if I make the heart rate go too fast, at yeah. least the duration at which I have to deal with that is shorter, right? Mm -hmm. Than if I gave a full dose of glycopyrrolate. Yeah. Now, it's it's funny. Uh, a lot of our staff are nervous about using atropine. We, they excuse it exclusively for CPR because I, I think that they think that atropine causes more dramatic responses than glyco. Although, honestly, I've had a plenty of like glyco roller coaster rides where the heart rate's low, we give a normal dose of glyco, and that's another story, right? 0.05 versus 0 .0, or 0.005 versus 0.01 mix per kick. I'm a 0.01. I'm a full dose girl. But, um, you know, and, and then sometimes you're right. Sometimes it goes from 40 to maybe 85 heart rate, which is, you know, kind of perfect. But other times it goes to 197. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, you know, and sometimes I walk into to, uh, to the OR and I'm, I look at someone's sheet and I go, ah, glyco spike and they're like yeah and i was like mm, yeah it's short acting but it's the last like maybe that super crazy tachycardia lasts 20 minutes like i don't always love it but the giving an im that's a really good option and you do 0.01 im yeah i usually do 0.01 im i'm a goldilocks kind of girl so i don't like five and i don't like ten so when i give it iv i do seven and a half because that's just right yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you do point you do point of oh oh seven five mix per yeah. keg just yeah. 7.5 micrograms per keg yeah. and then if you, but if you go im you do 10 i do 10 if i go im for sure and and i also am you know like dachshunds and stuff who like require multi-doses i do start to, after they've had about two doses of glyco for me i start giving it im with a little iv so i'll do like 10 im and i'll do like five iv get the mm. heart rate back up and then it seems to last me a little longer mm -hmm. um I think the other thing to talk about is what dose of atropine, right? Mm. Because we have that moment sometimes with atropine where we give a lower dose, right? We give 0.02 or 20 micrograms per kilogram. And you have that moment where it gets slower first. Yeah, I've seen that would happen with glyco too, though. 
yeah. with low doses of glyco. Where so what's that about, Lauren? <laughs> Why does it go slower first? Because that's yes. always scary, right? And then yeah. that's the moment where you go, oh my god, should I have given forty? And sometimes you give another twenty in that moment. And then suddenly you've like missed the mark of why you were trying to give 20, right? You were trying to give 20 to get some increase in heart rate, but not crazy. But then you get scared and you give another 20 and then now your heart rate is 200. That's so funny. Do you know, I've, okay, so 0.02 mg per kg of atrophy is my standard rate. And for CPR, it's 0.04. Yeah. And if they're doing atropine response tests for cardiac, like pacemaker type cases, uh, uh, Third like degree, degree AV block. block yes, yeah. I wanted to call it type three, which is not Jinx. correct. <laughs> but um, so they do 0.04 mix per keg or 40. So I've always done 20, and 20 to me is full dose uh, when I'm not trying to do CPR, and my half dose is 10. Where you're saying that your half dose is 20 and your full dose is 40. I have yeah. a half, a full, and a double. I have a <laughs> 0.01, a 0.02, and a 0.04, which is just funny. So I. I don't think I see the heart rate slow down even worse with 0.02. Um, I will see it with 0.01 with my true half dose. And I, that's why I'm not a half dose person. But yeah. the current idea why the heart rate drops further is because they think that there are probably what's called presynaptic receptors or or receptors that are um, they're on the vagus nerve side of that synapse between the vagus nerve and the heart. And so by giving anticholinergics, instead of just going and blocking the receptor on the heart, so that way you're blocking the influence of the vagus nerve on the heart, so then as a result, the heart rate comes up, you're actually blocking the, it's like the negative feedback receptor on the vagus nerve itself that tells the vagus nerve, you know, when there's enough acetylcholine that we can stop, you know, flipping out about it. And so you block that one first. And so then the vagus nerve goes, oh, there's not enough acetylcholine out there. I'll give out more. And as a result, you see the heart rate drop further before the the actual receptor on the heart is blocked. And I think that is still just a theory. I don't think that's actually been like super hammered out, but I think that's kind of the accepted dogma right now. But yeah, there's like one rodent paper out there from somewhere, right. That you probably actually have to get on a piece of paper at this point. Right. Not even sure you could get it online, but yeah, I agree with you. It's sort of this pre versus post synaptic effect of the drug. And so that is one of the things, you know, like in the moment when you're giving it, I, so I typically use more glyco for management of heart rate under anesthesia. And I agree with you that like my full dose is 0.04, but I, again, I'm only using that in moments of, I think, peri-arrest due to vagal tone. So Mm -hmm. like an optic nerve dog or a brachycephalic or something like that, that like the heart rate's coming down and I'm going, oh no, vagal systems like too much, 40 of atropine, right? And then also, of course, for CPR, I also do 40 of atropine. I do 20 for the management of heart rate sort of under anesthesia, but I do tend to reach for glyco for those purposes just because of its duration of action. Yep. And also, I do see it with glyco, especially if I do five of glyco, right? Five yep. micrograms per kilogram. But I find it seven and a half and 10, I don't see quite as a profound effect as what I see 0.01 or 0.02 of atropine a lot of the time. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but so the whole reason why we want to talk to you guys about this is because there's actually was a paper that came out just last year, 2021 in veterinary anesthesia and analgesia. And it is actually looking at using IV lidocaine to treat bradycardia in dogs that have gotten dexmatomony. And when I saw this paper initially, I think I had a little bit of like a, 
Me too. My eyes got big. <laughs> and I was like, huh, no way. Because I was always, I feel, I mean, we trained together, but we were always taught, you know, if you have significant drops in heart rate, that lidocaine is probably not something you want to reach for in general. And we know that because lidocaine is a sodium channel blocker, the sodium channel is very important in the conduction of, you know, cardiac action potentials. So this is why lidocaine is usually used for ventricular arrhythmias. It's, it's a type one, um, anti-arrhythmic. But so when I think of a sodium channel blocker, it's usually not what I would choose, you know, when I'm thinking the heart rates are too slow. Yeah. <laughs> it's usually, <laughs> it's usually like, oh no, this is too fast. We got to make this slow down. Right. And it is important to know the, the, the effect on the atria, the stabilization of the sodium channels on the atria is not as profound as what we see in like the bundle of hiss and in the ventricles. So I think I still stand <laughs> that if I have a dog in an escape rhythm, right? Mm-hmm. So not, I'm not talking about sinus bradycardia where they're sitting somewhere high thirties, low forties. I'm talking a ventricular escape rhythm at 40 to 45 beats per minute. Even in the face of dexmedetomidine, I'm probably not going to grab lidocaine. If yeah. only because if I stabilize those ventricular cells that are responsible for driving my heart rate at this moment, I feel like I definitely would see a reduction in heart rate. Right. But I yeah, find I this so. paper very interesting because they were not in ventricular arrhythmias. And I think this is very interesting to talk about what yeah. they think is the mechanism behind this. So they had three study groups. They had two dog or two groups that were conscious and they were sedated with 10 micrograms per keg iv of dexmedetomidine with big dose yeah i usually don't go above two and then sometimes i really push it to three and i just feel like i am living the line (laughs) (laughs) at my in my practice we start with three micrograms per kilogram i am for sedation with an opioid yeah same yeah exactly and i i give iv dexmed pretty rarely but so, and then in the second group, they, or in the third group, um, the dogs that got lidocaine were also anesthetized with isoflurane with an end tidal concentration about 1.2. So I would say pretty average isoflurane, but nothing else was on board. There was, they actually, they were masked down with ISO and then intubated and maintained on ISO. So what you're seeing is just isoflurane, just Dexmed, and then the, the lidocaine bolus and CRI after. And so what they found is... Kind of as you would expect, after giving dexmedetomidine to all three groups, the heart rates dropped. And their starting heart rate was about 155. Then after dexmedetomidine, it went to 37, which I would say, yeah, sounds right. You know, especially with 10 mics per kick. Um, Totally sounds right. And then they would give the lidocaine bolus and the heart rates went up to 61, which is really interesting. And so... Again, it's it's really not what I w- would expect. Um, and you also see that, you know, their uh, systemic vascular resistance goes down. So how much they're vasoconstricting, that kind of goes down. The cardiac output goes up, but not that great. So in this paper, the starting cardiac output, and this is kind of a, you know, for most of our listeners, it will be somewhat of a not really important number, but just to give you some perspective they're saying their baseline before anything was about 300. And that's mils per kg per minute. And then after dexmedetomidine, it goes from 300 to 50. So we talk about the drop in cardiac output. With 10 micrograms per kg, I mean, that 
that is what would that be one sixth of the yeah. kinetic output it was before Dexmed. Like that is it is significant. Yeah. And then after the lidocaine, yes, the heart rate goes from thirty seven to sixty one, which is not quite double, you know, but well, kind of ish. And then the uh, cardiac output only goes from fifty to sixty eight, which is only like a fifty percent improvement. So it's interesting that yeah. despite looking better, you know, if you were just looking at the ECG, it is a little bit better, right? Um, but not huge. So what I think is interesting is to put one other piece together with this, which is the oxygen extraction ratio. Mm. So they look at baseline, their oxygen extraction is about 26%. So they just give, so you guys just so you guys know, so an oxygen extraction ratio is saying how much arterial oxygen are you starting with and how much oxygen is on the venous side. So after going through the capillaries, how much have the tissues taken out? Yeah. So so they're starting with 26%. Go ahead. Yeah. Then they give their Dexmed and it goes up to 41%. Which makes sense, right? You're delivering, your cardiac output has gone down. You're delivering less oxygen to the tissue. And the tissue is extracting more oxygen from the arterial blood that it receives. So, interesting. Mm -hmm. But then they give the lidocaine and the oxygen extraction doesn't change. Still 41. Yeah. So, despite having this improvement in cardiac index, there's not really an improvement in oxygen delivery, right? Yep. And your heart rate goes up, so so you feel better, right? Yeah, and your systemic vascular resistance goes down. Which I guess is good. Yeah, but so did your stroke volume. Yeah. Right? So if you look at your lidocaine, their stroke volumes decrease too. So they're, you know, we're talking about, hopefully we're getting this through a reduction in systemic vascular resistance, right? And we see that here too, that mm -hmm. the systemic vascular resistance is 34 at baseline, goes up to 213 with our dexmedetomidine, and then comes down to 125. So all things point towards we should have improved oxygen delivery, up to and including that in many of them, the PaO2s also improved after they received lidocaine. But we're still seeing the same level of oxygen extraction, which I find to be very interesting. Yeah. So, have you done it yet? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> So I have, um, yeah. I've tried it in three or four dogs and the first dog, it's funny cause I pulled up my lead cane and then they also pulled up atropine and I was just like, all right, I have my two syringes. We're going to start with this one. We're going to start with the lidocaine, but just in case it's the wrong choice, we have this <laughs> as a backup. And my, um, my core tech, she was like, are you sure you want to do this? I was like, well, there's only one way to find out. I mean, technically yeah. I'm supported, right? Should like a lawsuit happen, um, yeah. but it worked right. So I, I mean, it was pretty cool because my heart rate went. I think for it was like thirty two, thirty three, and it went up to fifty five. Which I was like, well, I I can sit with fifty five more comfortably than I can sit with thirty two. So I kind of felt okay about it. Yeah, and it kept us from having to. We didn't have to reverse it and wake the dog up. We also didn't have to uh, give atropine because I don't think the blood pressure was was all that low i mean we were in that weird blood pressure is 80 situation and i was afraid of making it pump harder so after reading this paper and it kind of like the blood pressure stayed about the same but the heart rate came up and so it actually felt okay uh the second dog came in i said i was like stand back everyone i have something <laughs> to show you <laughs> and i uh i, I still pulled up atropine because <laughs> Atropine's cheap, man. <laughs> exactly, right? I'll throw it out. Um, and I gave the dose of lidocaine and nothing happened. And so it went from like 32 to 
32. And everyone's like, that's not that cool. And I was like, okay, we'll give Ashby, no problem. And <laughs> and then dog three, maybe dog four. I forget if I've done three or four. But the most recent one I did, it worked. And it worked pretty nicely. Um, again, it was in that weird situation. I also, um, sometimes I'll use it in... Um, uh, dachshunds getting hemilaminectomies where the heart rate is pretty low already, like uncomfortably low, and it's a dachshund, so as a breed, they're already low, and the pressure is high because the spinal cord is being compressed. And I was not the one who chose this, but it also got dexmedetomidine for its MR, so that's only going to exaggerate that effect. And so by the time I see it, I was like, "Oh, I'm a little uncomfortable," and the blood pressure was 95. And so I did the lidocaine thing and it worked and it was actually gentle. It was nice. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that's the case I'm waiting for. Right. So I only want to do this the first time in a case that I feel like it's absolutely indicated for. Right. I mm. don't want to feel weird about it when I try it the first time, but in my mind, that's exactly the case. Right. Is this mm. dachshund who may or may not have received a small amount of dexmedetomidine as part of their anesthetic protocol, but is undergoing hemilaminectomy because without a doubt, you'll have some three, four, five kilo miniature dachshunds on the table, mean blood pressure, 100, 110 on an A-line, heart rate, 36, 38, 40. And you're standing there and you're going, no, no, no yeah. part of me is okay with this heart rate. And then you give some IM glyco or you give some IV atropine and then inevitably the heart rate, I've never seen the heart rate go up 40 beats per minute. It always goes up 100, 110. And then without fail, they start to bleed. Yeah. Well, usually the thing that before even my oscillometric has had the time to cycle and tell me that's really high, the the neurosurgeon goes, what's the blood pressure? (laughs) Yeah. I just feel like. Did you All have some atropine? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. it's it's one uh, and tip to the wise is to make sure your monitors are on silent so they can't hear the beeping. <laughs> yeah, the beeping as it gets goes higher up. and higher. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. The uh, no, we don't want to lie to our doctors. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to try this. Right, I just have been well, not in the clinic that much for the last month or so, mm-hmm. um, but I'm very interested in trying this. Um, and exactly for the case that you mentioned, right? These cases where we're like, what do we do? The blood pressure's 80. Um, why do we, it's interesting some of the proposals they make about why this is working for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do make kind of some important points in their discussion about, you know, they did give the lidocaine kind of far out after the sedation, right? I think it was about half an hour after yeah. they received dexmedetomidine IV mm-hmm. uh, that they gave their lidocaine. So they do have this nice discussion about maybe that's part of it, right? Mm. So that, you know, as their um, dexmedetomidine was weaning off was the moment when they gave their lidocaine. But I kind of feel like, honestly, I don't really see the heart rate go up when my dexmedetomidine goes away. So I think mm-hmm. it's very great of them that they said well maybe it was our study design i think it's always good to question that yeah but i kind of gonna get them give them some credit in that i think that that's probably not why the heart rates got better Mm -hmm. well there was um this the second treatment group where they six dogs that got the iv dexmedetomidine and then they got the bolus five minutes later yeah and they see the same thing they went from 160 to 37 up to 60 oxygen extraction ratio was 26 to 41 and held at 41 so even at the at the five minute window instead of the thirty minute window, um, they still saw the same thing. 
Yeah, which is exactly my point, right? It, so it seems like in their first group where it was 30 minutes, that's probably, it's not that the dex med was going away. Like definitely our lidocaine is doing something for us here, which is very mm-hmm. intriguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just something completely different. And I feel like kind of goes against what I was always taught about not giving lidocaine to bradycardic animals. Well, maybe this is actually the right thing. Not that it's the right thing to do, but, you know, if you're between a rock and a hard place, it's a, it's a third option. Well, here's the here's the thing, right? We in anesthesia, anesthesia is so frightening to so many people mm-hmm. that we have a lot of dogma, a ton of dogma about mm-hmm. why the, we do things, the way we do things, and much of that is based not on any literature at all or on literature with relatively small number of dogs, which I'm not I mean that is the problem with veterinary re- literature, right? Is we make whole sweeping decisions about how we manage things based on six or eight or 10 animals in one Mm -hmm. study. Right. And so I agree with you. Like, here's this dogma. You can't do this. You should never do this. And then now I'm going, Ooh, maybe we don't know as much about these drugs as we would like to think. And maybe they have different benefits. And so I think this is one of those moments where I have to say, while I believe that Giacomo Giannotti is like the king of all shout out, shout out, Like, the man still talks to me in the back of my head, right, when I'm at work um, to this day. But, you know, maybe this is one of those moments where we go, we did the best we could until we knew better, and now we know better, and now we're going to try and do something else. And I think that's maybe exactly what's happening here. And maybe we should have called Giacomo to ask him if he's tried this yet. We know we should send this to him, make sure we get a response (laughs) from him. And we'll let you know. We'll update you next time. We'll update you next time to see. Yeah. And so they're saying that they think the lidocaine actually reduces the vagal tone. And as a result, you see the heart rate goes up. Um, it is interesting because they don't really address the drop in uh, afterload and that systemic vascular resistance. Um, they don't have much of a proposed mechanism. And I just think that because we just don't really know. what well, Essentially what they're demonstrating is this works and yeah. that's the end. And so there will probably be more research coming out as this becomes another option. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, many of us would go, oh, look, the systemic vascular resistance dropped. Obviously, the heart rate went up, right? Like many of us, that's what we would see. But we discussed in the beginning of this that that's not what we see with dexmedetomy, right? right? Is that because of the, the central suppression of the sympathetic nervous system, we are not going to see our heart rate move in the other direction. So if it was simply just vasodilation secondary to administration of lidocaine, then I would ex- not necessarily expect the heart rate to go up. Right? right? Because at some point they vasodilate from the alpha 2 agonist too, and the heart rate doesn't go up. Right. So there must be some amount of vagolytic activity. It's just funny because that's not what I think of when I think lidocaine. Yeah. Yeah. So many of our drugs are weird black boxes, you know? Yeah. They, it's just so funny how so many do different things at different doses in different animals and in different situations. Mm-hmm. And... I just want to make a uh, just a quick note. This They used two mgs per kg of, of lidocaine followed by a CRI of 50 micrograms per kg per minute, which is totally and normal. And 100. And one of them, they even used 100 as their second, as their CRI dose. And those are absolutely doses. You know, 10 mics per kilo of Dexmed is probably outside the range of average clinical use, right? I don't know many anesthesiologists who are using 10 mics per kilo of Dexmed IV. And so it would be interesting to see 
this effect using the smaller doses like you and I are using. So mm -hmm. there are times where I only do a CRI, like in human medicine, where I do half to one mic per kilo per hour, and I never really bolus the animal. There are also times where I give half or one mic per kilo IV, and then I start a CRI. And so it would be interesting to see some data about smaller doses of depth metatomini. Do we see the same um, vagolytic activity, um, increasing heart rate with those smaller doses. Totally. And, um, uh, last thing, I would not do this in cats. No, I would not. Um, so, <laughs> cat <Hives. laughs> so let me tell you a story about Kelly Varner as a first year resident, so maybe second or third month of in residency. And I came in by myself to do a cat foreign body in the night and I said, what do we do for foreign bodies? Uh, I'm going to give you a caveat that I am through and through a horse person who was large animal trained for a long time. And so I had this cat and I was like, okay, fentanyl lidocaine. And I did do that cat on a lidocaine CRI. <laughs> How'd it go? He lived totally fine. No worse for the wear. Happy <laughs> as can be. No needle in his GI tract anymore. Couldn't be bothered to look back. And And I will say that Having spent some time with some real devil's advocates of the anesthesia world, maybe there's not quite as much evidence for us to be as afraid of lidocaine in cats as we are. Um, certainly, I'm not at no and not recommending. <laughs> Don't do this at home, guys. We all run out and start doing lidocaine CRIs in cats. But for me personally, I would not reach for this Um even in cats, even in cats with ventricular arrhythmias, I give them one mg per kg of lidocaine. I do not give them two mg per kg of lidocaine. And I think many people would stare at you like you were a lunatic if you offered to give lidocaine to improve heart rate in a cat. Um, and so I think that there are some big um, concerns. But I, what I will also say is that I find the profound decreases in heart rate in the cat are maybe not as prominent as the dog. I would disagree, actually. You do? Okay. Yeah, the, um, I like it when we fight. <laughs> it's, it's rare. But, uh, <laughs> um, no, but I've, I've had a couple cats that I've given Dexmed IV, uh, again, about two mics per keg. And then, um, and like, I'm usually it's like a, a cat with a fracture repair or something. It already has a catheter by the time I'm, I'm involved. Um, healthy otherwise. So it gets Dexmed plus, I don't know, methadone or something induced propofol. We end up with a heart rate in the seventies, which personally I don't really I don't love cats below a hundred. No. Um, it's that's less than half, right? We all agree. Yeah. And so you you know we'll try to give glyco, and I talked about this in the I mean two years ago my old episode, but you know you would give glyco, and maybe you see the heart rate go from seventy three to eighty two, which I guess is in like like a little bit more than ten percent improvement, but it's really nothing to write home about. I'm not that much more comfortable. Um, and so I, uh, then I give ephedrine and I think it's because cats are sympathetically driven where I dogs are vaguely driven. Yeah. And so because we know alpha twos are sympatholytic and are ablating that sympathetic tone in the brain, the cats then don't have anything to counterbalance that. So we go to ephedrine. Right. I mean, I agree with you completely. It's like the cats who are so cold and they don't respond to anticholinergics, right? And it's because their sympathetic nervous system is already at 1 million uh, and they don't have vagal tone. That's not why their heart rates are low right. in those situations, right? Right. And so, and I agree with you, you know, like if you don't have a lot of vagal tone, the chances you're going to respond or respond profoundly to an anticholinergic are very low. Yeah. Because um, reducing your vagal tone from one to zero on a scale of 10 is, you know, 
Minimal. Almost nothing. <laughs> and in those cats, we're talking about we need to augment the sympathetic tone at that moment, right? right? Exactly. And so I agree with your decision to move to ephedrine. I think that's a great idea. I just mean that, like, I don't... I find a lot of cats, especially when they get IM-dex metatomidine, sit somewhere between 90 and 100. Mm-hmm. And those... W- that's the same gain as, like, oh, 40. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the dog, right? Yeah. I guess I just also frequently operate under the assumption that every cat I touch has HCM. And so I mm-hmm. kind of ride that a little lower heart rate is probably okay in HCM or hokum cats. Mm-hmm. And since so many have that disease without any clinical sign, without a murmur, without an arrhythmia, without enlargement of the cardiac silhouette on radiographs, because I really can only diagnose that disease on an echo, and most healthy cats are not going to have an echo prior mm-hmm. to general anesthesia, Mm-hmm. I kind of am closer with being okay with those cats having a little bit lower heart rate, but I do frequently find myself in the same situation that you're talking about. I'm looking at the heart rate 80 to a hundred and I go, what do I do? Unfortunate that probably this isn't my answer in the cat, right? Yeah. <laughs> to give them two makes for cake of lidocaine as a bolus. Um, but I agree with you. I, I do think that them responding to anticholinergists is a little different than how dogs behave. Yeah. All right. I feel like we've covered a lot of ground and mm. I just wanted to kind of recap things because we've thrown out, we've thrown out a lot of numbers, we've thrown out a lot of doses. So I'll kind of give you my, uh, my take homes. So dexmedetomidine, we know it's going to cause a biphasic effect on heart rate and blood pressure. Phase one, we're going to see vasoconstriction, an increase in blood pressure and a reflex bradycardia. That's the heart responding to that and slowing down. Then in phase two of dexmedetomidine, we're going to see low blood pressure and bradycardia together. So if I'm in phase one, so my blood pressure, let's say a mean blood pressure greater than 85, and I have a low heart rate, I, I feel like I'm in phase one, and either we're going to wait it out and wait for the hypotension to come, or... I feel like the option is to reverse it with adipamazole. Again, we don't love that option because, you know, your dogs are going to wake up. You're taking away some of your pain control. It's just kind of, it's just an annoying choice to make. But, you know, sometimes we're, we're forced there. Now, if you're on phase two and you have a low blood pressure and you're bradycardic, you can give an anticholinergic. So just to clear up some confusion maybe with the doses, I tend to give glyco at 0.01 mg per kg IV which is what I consider the full dose. Uh, Varner would... I do 0.0075 micrograms per kilogram. Milligrams per kg. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. milligrams per kilogram. Yep. Yeah. Or 0.01 IM, right? That's your right. that's your thing. Yep. And then for atropine, we'll, we both typically go to 0.02 mg per kg of atropine. And I know many clinics out there actually only have atropine just because glyco is pretty expensive. We used to call it liquid gold for a while. Yeah. Um, we save 0.04 for CPR, um, but but a 0.02 of atropine is not, is it's nice. You know, I feel like it's gentle. It's 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 nice. And yeah, the, and then also don't forget that there's two synaptic effects pre and post, right? So if mm-hmm. you give 20 of atropine and the heart rate doesn't surge ahead in the first three minutes, mm-hmm. just be a little patient and yeah. don't repeat your dose. Just yeah. wait a second. Yeah. And now with this paper, we actually we have a third option. So if you are somewhere in between, if you're in phase one and a half and you're not really sure, you don't really feel like either of those options are pretty perfect, 
you could try in a dog giving two mg per kg of lidocaine. You could follow that with a CRI, although I think it's optional. And what you should expect to see, according to this paper, and my very limited, you know, experimentation with it, is you should see the heart rate come up moderately or mildly, and you should see the blood pressure stays about the same, you know? And so we're we're not treating a blood pressure of 40, right? We're, we're, this is the case that we're treating a blood pressure 75 to 90. Um, but you're going to see the heart rate come up and you're going to see the blood pressure hold. And it's not super dramatic. Um, we're not sure if it's actually fixing the problem. We're not, even though our numbers look better, I don't know if perfusion is technically better. Um, but, you know, future studies. I think their sedation two group two does kind of indicate that we could try in a phase one dog, right? They gave their lidocaine five minutes after they gave Dexmed at 10 mics per kilo IV. So Mm -hmm. that's probably pretty phase one. And they Mm -hmm. did have some success with that group. So, I mean, I think that if you wanted to try, um, you could try in a phase one dog, certainly. Although I think I probably, if very early on, I'm having arrhythmias and profound bradycardia and super hypertension, I'm going to reverse them. Um, is probably my first step, but uh, it does seem like maybe if you have somewhere middle ground, so you get, uh, you're in phase one, but maybe your heart rate's 40 or 50, and maybe your mean blood pressure is not quite 110, or maybe you're not having arrhythmias like second degree AD block to go along with those things, maybe you could try that to yeah. make for keg lidocaine in that situation too. But I agree with you. I think I'm putting this in my toolkit for my in-between dogs, my moderately, you know, my bradycardia with trending towards hypotension (laughs) (laughs) right we're we're coming down the mountain a little bit yes yes and we're trying to we're trying to fix it before we hit hypotension right yeah um and i think i'm gonna reach for my anticholinergic when i've already hit hypotension and i'm Mm -hmm. gonna you know i really want that big increase in heart rate and i Mm -hmm. think i'm gonna use my lidocaine when i'm trying not to hit hypotension and i'm gonna try and fix that heart rate Mm -hmm. right before we get there Mm -hmm. well it's pretty cool it's a little different you know um, I'm on a small ammo clinics next week, so I'm hoping that I'll get myself a dog who wants to have this done, and we'll get a report from Giacomo Giannotti, and then I will report back with my success or not success, Yeah, and we'll see what happens in the Untangle the Lines world for untangling lidocaine for Dexmed yeah. and do spray well, this has been fun. I like these kind yeah. of smaller topics. I think this is, yeah. I mean, it's still, I think we're, we're almost at 45 minutes, which is yeah. totally fine. <laughs> I mean, we're so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, uh, like, and you know, this is good. You know, yeah. and we'll, we'll pick up another big topic. I think somewhat, you know, maybe in the next couple of weeks, maybe like a oxygen hypoxemia type thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I think sprinkling in these smaller topics is great. Yeah. So, uh, Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening, and I guess we'll catch you up on the next time. Let us know what you think. Thanks, everyone. Bye.